This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. As we begin this morning, uh, in this moment, I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just give you thanks uh, to be to come, able to come together uh, as your people in this place. We humbly ask uh, this morning that whether it's through the songs that we have sung or that we sing, whether it's through the prayers that are prayed, through the interactions with our neighbor that we make, or through the word proclaimed, uh, that your Holy Spirit would fall, on, fall upon us and offer us a transforming experience with your gospel. This morning, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, I simply ask the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a gospel from, or a scripture lesson from the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to, to open up with me. You may have this on your phone. Uh, you can look up there as well. But Luke chapter 2 is where we're going this morning. And Luke chapter 2 is a very unique uh, expression in the gospel. We don't see this anywhere else. Uh, often when we hear about the life of Jesus, we either hear it uh, from when he is very young, when he is a baby, or before he was a baby, born in a manger, and then <clears throat> grows to about the age of two, and then our picture of Jesus' life pauses at two, and then we jump usually all the way up to age 30, when he begins his earthly ministry uh, for three years before his uh, death uh, and resurrection and then ascension. And so that 28 years is often left blank, except in this gospel, uh, Luke chapter 2. And Luke chooses to enter into Jesus' life at a very, let's call it, unique age. He chooses 12 years old. For those of you that have ever had a 12-year-old, or we'll say 12 or 13, uh, who have ever uh, been around a 12-year-old, or maybe even in the same room as a 12 or 13-year-old, you know that that age is an interesting time of life for our 12 and 13-year-olds. And so this morning, as you hear this scripture, I would just ask you to hear it with your favorite 12-year-old in mind. You guys are having way too much fun already. That makes me happy. <laughs> so chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. Now every year, uh, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. Let's pause right there. Uh, some people have asked, you know, how is it that you can travel an entire day and not know where your 12-year-old is? They left this big festival, and they, they journeyed from Jerusalem on the way, assume, assuming back to Nazareth, which is about a three- or four-day journey on foot. It's about 70 miles. Uh, today, if you were to drive that, it's about 90 miles because of the way you have to go around. It takes a little over two hours. But they were traveling back, and for that journey, just so you're aware, every year they would make this trek for the Passover. And every year they would journey not just by themselves, their immediate families, or not even their extended families, but a larger group of people would travel together uh, for, one, safety, and two, companionship. Now, when I hear that word companionship, what I think they really mean is so that other children are around so they can 
make their 12-year-olds go away. And so the kids literally would go and just play with each other all day on this journey. They would, you know, they would play games. They would find their cousins and their friends. And so as their parents are walking along and talking about parents' things, the kids would be off play and play around. And the immediate families or extended families would not regather until that evening of the first day of travel. And then they would regather and they would eat together. And they would you know, sleep in the same tents as they set them up at the time. And then they would start the next day. And again, as day, day breaks... For the kids, around 6 o'clock, for the parents, 7 or 8, they would send the kids off, and the kids would go play, and they would journey again, and they would take that next day, and they'd repeat this day after day. So it was not unusual to get to the end of the day and to begin to have to look for your children. What was unusual is that your children wouldn't be found. And so they head back, and beginning with verse 45. When they did not find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. We'll come back to that. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Now again, I would ask you, if you have had a 12-year-old or 13-year-old, have you ever asked that question? Child, why are you treating us like this? You are causing your mom and dad and I just great anxiety. Now you may use other words. I'm going to stick with Scripture. My sister who's here, I'm going to tell a story on her because she's here. Hi, Katie. When my sister was 13, she chose uh, for a year to not talk to my mom directly. Uh, It got so badly for a point that she would be sitting at the table with my parents at, at dinner, and she would literally look to my dad and say, Dad, could you please ask mom to pass the chicken? This was her at 13. Again, interesting age. So she would do this, and they went on, and my parents, of course, would not put up with it. They would say words like anxiety, and they would ask her, why, child, are you treating us like this, right? That was their response. Now, of course, she is a wonderful woman now, and it only took a year, and she broke through all of that and was an angel and still is, right? That's, yeah, that's good. But that's what happens at that age. You get into a relationship, and, and Jesus was no different, except this next verse. Verse 49, Jesus said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Have you ever had your kid look at you and say, Why couldn't you find me? Of course I'd be at church. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. They may have said that. Whether it was true or not is between you and them. But they did not understand what he said to them. But then Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are a lot of places I could go with this uh, passage. In fact, that last verse, uh, Luke 2, uh, 52, is the foundational verse uh, for curriculum that we use for some of our youngest children. It's called 252 Basics. 
And the whole premise of that curriculum is that we uh, desire to see our children grow in human and divine favor. And what we mean by that is that we want our kids to fall more in love with God, to more deeply know the love of God for them, and to also know what it means to be loved by neighbor and to love their neighbor. What it means to be loved God by God's church, by God's people, and to also love God's people and love those who are outside the body of Christ. And so our hope from a very young age is that our children are learning what it means to follow Jesus in this way. But this morning, where I want to focus is actually the one I mentioned earlier, verse 46. It's where they come back to Jerusalem, that they've, they've looked for him for three days, and they find him sitting among the teachers, the rabbis in the temple, listening to them and asking them questions. So here we are, Jesus, a 12-year-old, the Son of God, you know, the, the one who will grow uh, to sit at the right hand of the Father, the one who uh, ultimately gave his life for us, was raised again at 12, sitting among the authorities in the temples, respectfully listening and asking questions. Questions. Questions have always been part, even for the Son of God, have always been part of what it means to be the sons and daughters of God. We ask questions. In the Psalms, throughout the Psalms, you hear these questions. You know, where, O oh God, does our help come from? God, why have you left me? God, you know, what does it mean for us to be in this place at this time? You know, there's these crying out of God's people. These questions they ask as they seek to understand, to know. I'm a father of two children. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. I think, Donna, we have a picture of them. These are my kids. Uh, Coleman is our nine-year-old. He's our son. A great kid. I mean, they're both great kids. Um, my daughter reminds me of my sister. But that's a different problem. <laughs> and my daughter, uh, Campbell, who is seven, uh, they, we lo- love them. Great kids. They, they, their mom, my wife, Erin, is a photographer, and so they've learned to pose from very young ages. In fact, here's the next one. Coleman has learned to laugh on demand. He wasn't actually laughing. She just said laugh. He goes, ha, ha, ha. And that's just how that works. And then Campbell, of course, has learned to pose. And so this is her... Mommy, check out my sign pose, right? This is. But one of the things about my kids is that uh, my kids have been, from a very young age, have asked question after question after question. You know, when they were really young, it was, it was questions like, you know, why is the sky blue? Or, Daddy, how did God make all the trees? Or, you know, Daddy, what is your favorite color? Uh, or one of my favorites, which is Daddy. I use favorites the way I use anxiety. Daddy. Are we there yet? Uh, my son uh, is like me. He could be 30 minutes from home or 30 seconds from home and has no clue how close we are to home. Uh, my daughter pays attention, like my wife, and she knows exactly how far we are. And so he has persisted with are we there yet, even to this day. As they've gotten older, they've asked harder questions. Uh, some of them have been science-based. They've been questions like, Daddy, why are there no more dinosaurs? Uh, or Daddy... Uh, is slime a solid or a liquid? The follow-up question to that is, do I need to tell your mother something? Like, it's just, <laughs> they've asked questions like, uh, you know, why are there earthquakes? Why are there floods? Why are there things that God allows to hurt people? And then probably the hardest question I heard when I heard it for the first time from my kids was, Daddy, why are people mean? It's a question you never want to hear from your daughter. Why are people mean? But as a parent, 
And as a pastor, part of the business of what I do is I listen to you and am able to respond to questions. As a pastor, some of the questions I get are large questions, questions like, you know, why do we go to church, or, or why do we worship, or why do we pray, or, or maybe more importantly, how do we pray? But we're asked these questions and try to live into what that looks like as a church family. Potentially the questions get more personal, and they're questions like, you know, why, what do I do when my spouse believes something about God differently than I do, or, or why is marriage so hard? Or maybe how do I take a next step when I've gone through an illness or a change or a loss. We answer questions. We ask questions. Last week when Amanda led us in baptism, uh, she asked some questions. I think, Donna, we have the first one from that. The question was, we ask of all those folks that are coming forward for baptism, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? And then she had two other questions. This question being one, do you turn away from the things that keep us from the love of God and turn back toward God? And then we had two more, and then this fourth question was for us as a church. It was, will you, <laughs> it's actually nurture, future is not that. Nurture these persons in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life. That's the question we respond to. And I think it's one of the most critical questions we can answer as the body of Christ. When we say we will to this, what we are saying is we are going to teach and lead Such a life that by our example, when people see us, they will choose to follow God. Now that's a convicting question. Are we living our life in such a way that when people see us, they will choose to follow God for themselves? In a moment, Amanda's going to close this sermon. And when she does, um, she's going to talk about what that means for us locally here as the body of Christ. But I want to close this morning with one last question. It's from Matthew chapter 22. Again, if you have your Bible with you, you can flip there with me real quickly. Verses begin with verse 34. And it's this. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. And they said, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. We have been through a lot of change as the church. I represent part of that. As our lead pastor for four years has moved on to be the district superintendent of the capital district to lead about 100 churches in the Raleigh area, they asked me to step into this role. It's a change for us. We've been through changes in our youth ministry and other places that have, that have shifted for us. But I just want to say this. Anytime there is change, the answer to that question never changes. That is, what is most important? What is the greatest commandment? What is the thing that God calls us to over and over again? It is simply this. As followers of Jesus, our task is to be a people who constantly fall more deeply in love with God and who choose out of that abundant love to love our neighbor. That has been our task. That is our task. That will always be our task. We have particular ways that we live that out. And again, Amanda's going to lead us in that closing this morning. But I hope and challenge you to always be a people who take that task seriously.
Well, as Tim mentioned, there have been a lot of changes going on in our midst. And I have to say that since I arrived here a little over, uh, almost, almost two months ago now, I have had a lot of questions. I have been like that 12-year-old Jesus, trying to sit at the feet of all those around me who know more than I do, and to ask questions. One of the things that I love the most about my first encounter with Tim and with Gray was when I came to visit here and to talk to them more about this opportunity is that they shared their information with me, their knowledge of our church so well. They shared, and at the end of each time I met with them, they said, Do you have any questions? And as someone who loves to ask questions, I had a lot of questions for them. And I'm sure that some of them stumped them well. I wanted to know, tell me about the people of your church. What are they most excited about? What is their greatest strength? But I also wanted to ask questions like, what is the biggest challenge for your congregation? What is the thing that you struggle with the most? I wanted to know about the staff and how they work together. I wanted to know about how you all are living into who God has called you to be. How you're living into that command to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love others as yourself. How do you do that? My final question, which was the biggest and to me one of the most important questions of all that I had, happened on my last day of encountering the two of them. I was sitting with Gray, and I said, you know, I'm a pastor who I feel is called and committed to asking hard questions. So my final question for you is, is your church ready and willing to ask the hard questions? The hard questions about life and faith and following Jesus. And their answer, his answer in particular, was one of those things that helped to seal the deal for me, that made me feel like this was right where God was calling me to be. Grace said, absolutely. Our people are ready to ask the hard questions. We've been asking the hard questions before it was cool to ask the hard questions, right? We've been doing this for a while, and we are not afraid to live into who God has called us to be when we get those answers that challenge us, that call us into the unknown or into the the next thing that might be a little different than what we've encountered. That is one of the things that has been most assuring and encouraging to me as a church body is that we are unafraid to ask those hard questions. Unafraid to ask, how can we be more devout followers of Jesus? How can we love God more fully? How can we love our neighbor as ourselves? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be entering into a sermon series about the values of Apex United Methodist Church campus here, one of our four faith communities. We value welcoming all. We value loving all. And we value serving all. And so as we enter this series, each week, Tim or I are going to go in deeper about what does it mean to welcome people? Is it enough to just say hello to your neighbor on Sunday morning and shake their hand? Is that welcome enough? What does it mean to love all? Is it enough to offer a prayer for your neighbor or to ask them how they're doing? Is that showing enough love? And finally, what does it mean to serve all? Is it enough to just give food to somebody because you know that they need it or to bring in a donation because you know the church needs it? Or is there more to it than that? Is there more to it to live into loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
So I encourage you over these next three weeks to come with your hard questions, to come being ready to ask those things and to live into who God has called you to be. And I can promise you that Tim and I and the staff, we are committed to being like 12-year-old Jesus, to listening to Scripture and to the leaders around us, but also asking those hard questions like Jesus did, to listening and learning together and to living into who God has called us to be. Today is kickoff Sunday, and so you're going to get to learn a little more about what it means to be a church that welcomes all, loves all, and serves all just right outside here. We have tents set up with lots of different ministry areas, and we invite you to go and to visit those. Now, I know some of you have been here 20 years, and you think you know everything there is to know about our church. I don't know about that. There's a lot to know about our church. I feel like I don't know, and I, you know... I'm part of the staff here, but I encourage you to go out there and to learn more about what God is doing in our midst. If you've been here just a couple months, I encourage you to learn more about what God is doing. If you're involved in five ministries or none, to go out there and to listen to those people who are passionate about what God has called them to do in that ministry area, to learn from them, and to ask them questions. To ask them how they got started in that. What's their favorite, what brings them most joy out of that ministry? And then to ask yourself a really hard question. Is God calling me to do that? Is God calling me to do that? I want to end by going back to where Tim began with hard questions. That question that all kids ask on that journey that leads them to a destination. Is are we there yet? Where is even there, right? Well, my answer to you as a pastor, when I hear that question, are we there yet as a people of faith, I will say almost. In fact, we are always almost there. We are a people who live in the now and not yet, that we will not fully recognize or realize God's kingdom until we, Jesus returns and we feast at his heavenly banquet. And so I invite you to come and to be with me in this almost time, knowing that we can ask ourselves every single day, are we there yet? And we can say almost, and God is calling us to live into that, to be faithful followers of Jesus and to live out that greatest commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I leave you with that today, and I want to invite Tim up to bless us with his benediction to give us any um, final words he has for us, but that is our hope, is that you will journey with us in this pursuit of God's will for our church and for our lives. I want you guys to stand and receive this benediction. It's pretty good. May the God who calls us all by name, may the God who knows us as daughters and as sons, may that God fill you with his Holy Spirit this week, send you from this place, so that when people see you, they might see Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in strength and go in peace. Amen.